Hi, this is Steve. The new year can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But at the Cinephiles, it means a whole new year of films we're allowed to explore. And 2008 was a great year for film, with powerful movies like The Wrestler and Gran Torino, great animation like WALL-E and Kung Fu Panda, the hilarious Tropic Thunder, not to mention in Burgess, Man on Wire, and the curious case of Benjamin Button. But when we asked our fans which 2008 film they thought we should dig into first, the answer was absolutely overwhelming. It's not surprising, because this is arguably the greatest comic book movie ever made, with incredible cinematography, a dark, haunting story, and the most terrifying supervillain ever to step foot on the big screen. The Dark Knight is directed by Christopher Nolan and stars Christian Bale, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gary Oldman, Aaron Eckhart, and the late great Heath Ledger in an absolutely bone-chilling performance as the Joker. We're joined in this incredible discussion by the host of DC All Access, Jason Inman. We go deep on this one, so deep in fact, that we couldn't fit it all in just one episode. That's right, Dark Knight is the first film since Citizen Kane to get the cinephile's two-part treatment. And if by any chance you still haven't seen this amazing film, drop what you're doing and go directly to cinephiles.net, where you can buy The Dark Knight and every other movie we've ever reviewed. So, that's The Dark Knight, Part 1, with special guest Jason Inman, this Friday on The Cinephiles. Look at you. What do you believe in, huh? What do you believe in? I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you... Stranger. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, producer, host, writer, Etc. Etc. Over at Collider uh, Video, and um, really excited today to talk about yeah. this movie. This is one that we put to our fans mm -hmm. and said, "What film that's just about to cross the ten-year mark would you like us to talk about early on in 2018?" And this is the one that people clamored for the most. Yeah, because so our, our rule, our kind of yeah arbitrary rule, is that a movie has to have established itself, has to stood the test of time, and we say if we're still thinking of it as a great film ten years later then it must be a great film. Right. And it's now 2018, and we could, it's a whole stack of movies from 2008 we could talk about. Right. And this is the one that our fans wanted the most. Yeah, and you know, and I knew we had to get someone on here to talk about it to whose opinion I respect and who isn't necessarily like, who's very aware and loves DC, but also is fair about his love of DC. Uh, and uh, there's probably one of the few people that I met walking into this business who was incredibly kind to me, very, very appreciative of who I was as a person and became a very fast friend. Uh, he is the host of DC All Access. You've seen him on the Schmodown, part of Team Trek. He is number one. He is the current uh, inner geekdom champion, uh, wow. and also, mm -hmm. aside from everything else, I'm very proud to call him my friend. Jason Inman is here. That is probably the best introduction I've ever had in my what? entire life. <laughs> you Thank you, man. You see why I had him? I have the tears. <laughs> tears. I think True. you should make a professional business of just introductions. Oh, I, I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah. You've called the blah, blah, blah. He's one of the most amazing. <laughs> you should leave a message. A Voicemails, the greeting cards. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, John. You're Thank welcome. you. Yes. Uh, uh, you are a fast friend of mine as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Isn't it crazy that this film is 10 years old? It is. It is. It shocks me. It yeah. feels like it came out last year. 
Right. Well, and this is really every time we say that on this show, I go, and what I'm really saying then is, man, I'm old. Yeah, I know we're all old. Yeah. <laughs> and the film we're talking about is The Dark Knight. Is The yeah, Dark yeah, Knight. Yeah, we, the should dark should say say we should say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and normally I always start with asking how you came to this film, which of course we're gonna I'm gonna ask, but I actually want to ask something else first. And I and sure. I know we all probably have our own answers. Is what's your relationship to DC Comics and the Batman? Oh, Jason Inman, please. Uh, my relationship to DC Comics and the Batman is very easy because the first comic book I ever bought was a Batman comic book. Do you remember what it was? Batman number 466. I still own it. I have it framed. That's awesome. I have kept it. And the reason I bought it was... How old were you? I don't honestly remember because I (laughs) I don't honestly remember the actual moment I picked it up. I know that it was either somewhere around Batman Returns, either in theaters or Batman Returns on like VHS, and I'm not certain. So 92... 92-ish, 93-ish, somewhere in there? there. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that comic book, Batman's Tied to the Bottom of a Rocket. That's the cover. Oh, wow. And I, as a kid, had to know whether Batman escaped. I read the issue. The issue's great. He does escape. It's a, But it's him like running through a theme park, mm-hmm. and it's one of the very first uh, Batman stories with Tim Drake as Robin. Uh-huh. Because a lot of the issue, Batman's like, I don't know if my new Robin can handle this, uh, and he does. But uh, <laughs> spoilers uh, for you know a comic book that's really old. But that's my relationship to Batman. I'm more of a Superman guy than I am a Batman, and that's primarily because I grew up on a farm in Kansas. So Superman oh, wow. is like he's the kid that succeeded more of all us Kansas farm kids. Mm, yeah. So, uh, but I really like Batman. And he had a few advantages. He does. He does. <laughs> well, my favorite comic book character of all time is a Batman character. It's Nightwing. Oh, Dick Grayson. Right. Because I love the idea that we get to see this character grow up. So my the origin of me becoming a writer, mm-hmm. the first thing I ever wrote, I had a buddy who wanted to be a comic book artist. And so the very first thing I wrote was a Nightwing comic. Nice. For him. For him to draw. Uh, which, of course, never came. And that was when I was first shopping around trying to become a comic book writer, going to conventions, going to talk to Denny O'Neill and those guys. So I love Nightwing, too. He's nice. one of my all-time favorites. How about you? Uh, so if we're talking about coming to Batman, my first experience with comics and Batman was obviously the uh, Adam uh, West, Burt Ward show growing up. Yeah. But comics-wise, uh, I just I don't have any memory past uh, Dark Knight Returns, the first issue. Of ever oh, wow. having a comic book, ever reading a comic book. I'm sure I did. I'm sure my dad, mom brought me stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just remember my, uh, what do they call that? Awakening or eye-opening moment was when I, friends were like, you got to go get Dark Knight Returns number one. It was the big deal in 1980, whatever, Six. 86 when it came out in high school. And I remember everyone was talking, all my nerdy friends were talking about it. And so I drove out to Woodbridge, way out in Woodbridge, which was the next city over. And I went to this small comic book shop that they told me to go to. And I met these guys and they were like, yeah, it was a Saturday. And they're like, yeah, we're actually going to have a reading of it. Oh, wow. uh, in the back, if you want to come back around four o'clock when the, the was when it the... actually Frank Miller? You, no, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but what, it, what when I thought they meant they were going to perform it, a reading of it, because I'd done right. plays in school and whatever. So, but no, it is. It was everyone goes in the back, starts reading at the same time, and just sits that's there the, reading that's together. The nerdiest in a thing I've ever heard of in my yeah. entire life. Yeah, we're <laughs> all going to sit in silence <laughs> together reading our comic. Yeah. It was incredible. That and is so, awesome. So I'm sitting there with a bunch of other nerdy dudes, you know, like they would look like in 1986, and I'm just 16 year old kid or 15 year old kid, and I'm just experiencing and reading the comic book, and I just was blown away because obviously it's dealing with way more mature themes than I was maybe uh, able to grasp, mm-hmm. but I certainly understood a. 
to a great deal what was happening because I was a political kid from the young kid growing up near D.C. You're just ingratiated in politics. So what he was talking about in, in the book. So when I, I was like, this is a whole other Batman that I've ever experienced. And then I went backwards and read all the other ones that were there, Detective and all that kind of jazz. But it's always been Dark Knight Returns was my uh, awakening. I can't imagine. I mean, that to me is like you've never seen a movie before. And then someone says, hey, you should see this Citizen Kane thing. <laughs> or you know? The Godfather. Or The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like you went and it's a pretty much, I'm not going to say it's all downhill from there, <laughs> but it's mostly downhill from there. I'm not going to lie. A good yeah. chunk of it is. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that is, you know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't, so so for me, and I know I've said this on the Cinephiles before, yeah. but but uh, I learned how to read reading DC Comics. Uh, I mean, that was really, those were my, you know, fun with Dick and Jane, C-Spot run. No, for me, it was Superman, World's Finest. Batman, Legion of Superheroes, that was how I learned how to read. Right. And it was because my dad had had comics when he was a kid. And when he, on his first, and so this is in the late 40s, early 50s, and in the mid-50s on his first day of high school, his mom went and grabbed his collection of you know, classic Superman and Batman comics and threw them all in the trash. Of course, because that's what he did. Because <laughs> he was, you know, now he's a grown-up and he didn't have kids' things. And I think my dad was so upset by that, and financially looking at it now, rightly so, <laughs> that he brought home Superman and Batman comics to me all the time. Oh, wow. So And so and it is, by the way, also the Adam West TV show. Yeah. Um, and I do also remember in 1986 when I was in high school and someone said, you got to see this book. And it, you know, and, and I think Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns that's that there's a direct connection from that mm-hmm. until we get to uh Batman Begins. Yeah. Um and and this is you know we're starting with the sequel like we did when we did uh Wrath of Khan mm-hmm. um is that I think uh well first I want I do want to ask do you remember how you first saw Dark Knight? I saw Dark Knight. It's funny my first trip to California. Uh I got a job. I worked at I was a theater assistant building sets for this weird uh, kind of creative art school in Idlewild, California. Oh, Idlewild, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in Idlewild, California. And um, it was the first time I came out to California. It was my first idea of being like, maybe I want to come to L.A. And we went at midnight down down the mountain to the little small town, the beautiful metropolis of Hemet, California. Oh, you know, yeah. that hell, Hemet, California. <laughs> and I remember, like, we were asking our boss before. We were like, okay, we're going to go to this midnight showing. Is that okay? My boss was like, look, I don't care. But you're coming to 8 a.m. the next day. And I will say, in retrospect, I love the movie. But I was like, oh, we shouldn't have saw it at midnight. We saw it at midnight. But <laughs> there were rough. people dressed up at my screening. It was a oh, wow. big deal. Yeah. There was a couple Jokers. There were some Harleys. Yeah. There was a Batman there. And I didn't see it in a particularly big movie theater. But that was my first time seeing Dark Knight. And do you remember when you first saw it? Yeah, well, it's 2008. I imagine it was, uh, it was Steve and I are friends for tw- uh, like a long time, 15 years. Tw- so it was like, I imagine... It was the group of us yeah, going to see it. We did, didn't we? Yeah. I don't. I don't remember what it was at the ArcLight in Sherman it. Oaks. Okay. Yeah. And oh, at the big... Sherman Oaks one. Yeah. Oh, how interesting. And it was a big crowd of us. Yes. Um. And you know, and we saw it simultaneous with you because we saw a midnight showing yes. in yes. California. Remember yeah. that with the whole big group. And I remember being so stunned yeah. and shook. Yeah. Walking out of that movie for lack of a yeah, yeah. for the, what the kids say now. Now shook. can I can I ask the question here? Um. Did both of you see the little IMAX preview that they put in front of I Am Legend? Was that the right movie? No. No. I, I had okay. not. I did. Okay. So so I remember seeing the oh, the whole Joker opening sequence. Yeah. They parked in front of, in IMAX movies oh, wow. in front of I Am Legend. And the oh, wow. only reason I saw I Am Legend in IMAX was to, to see, see the opening scene. Huh. Um and I can remember seeing that opening scene and then that anticipation for like six to seven months right. being like, oh my God, like I can't, this is, this is, 
I don't know what to think about this because it's mm. very different from Batman Begins, but like I, I could tell even then it was something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I knew walking out like I, like you, Steve. Like I would agree with that. I was shook. I walked out. I'm like, this is. I've never seen the Joker like this. This is the Joker I remember from Dark Knight Returns. This is the Batman I remember, the darker Batman mm-hmm. from some of my favorite stories of darker Batman. By the time 2008 had come around, there were so many other great graphic novels that had come out mm-hmm. concerning Batman that had this kind of vibe to them. So coming out of that movie, and I enjoyed Batman Begins. I did, mm-hmm. but Dark Knight is the one that I thought really encapsulated mm-hmm. what, how dark Batman can be as a character and as a world. Yeah. Gotham could be as a world. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away by what Heath Ledger did because I was one of those people that's like, this is a terrible choice. I don't think he's that good of an actor. He's a young actor. And then you saw him just command the the screen and he still has never lost his effect on me when I watched the movie. A weird fun fact about this movie is that around the same time that this movie started getting trailers and photos released and the the first photos of Heath Ledger in his costume came out, DC was actually publishing a miniseries that's called Joker, and it's by Bran Isarello and oh, yeah. I think Edward I Rizzo. Yeah. yeah, and the Joker design in that comic book is almost oh. identical to Heath Ledger. Now, here's the thing: Damn. they both claim that they didn't know about the other, hmm. and wow. I and I tend to believe it because DC Comics, um, especially, doesn't get a lot of influence from the theatrical ver- mm-hmm. uh, division, and also they make cl- comics so close to release as you right. would as you would know yeah. as well. Um, and so it's such a, such a weird 2008 creative consciousness yeah. moment to think about that this is where our society was thinking about the Joker. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is like Heath Ledger hovers over this movie, you know, because he tragically died before mm-hmm. it came out. Mm-hmm. And his, I mean, his, I think he, even if had he lived, his performance would hover over this movie. But, yeah. but I, it, you know, it's this, without Heath Ledger and without this peculiar Joker, mm-hmm. I don't know that we'd be sitting here right now. Yeah, yeah you know? I agree. I mean, there's still lots of great stuff about the film. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and also one of the most incredible things is, Stephen, we've seen that just recently, a couple of days ago, uh, Logan got nominated for Best yeah. Adapted Screenplay, right? Pe- people never bring up that Heath Ledger won the Best he won the a- Oscar. Oscar for this. When they go, uh, superhero films don't get... no. You know why? Because his performance transcends a superhero film. It is... It's almost irrelevant that it's a superhero. It's his acting performance that mm-hmm. is for the ages. Irrelevant of the makeup, irrelevant of the character. It's an acting performance for the ages, and that says something. Um, so I want to talk just briefly about Batman Begins, and then we can move past sure. it and get is that uh, Batman Begins. I mean, there was the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher um, <laughs> Batman films. I like the drop. Are you going to do the cinema files on Batman and Robin? Can I please request? <laughs> Whenever I you can request, that. I will request that episode. <laughs> you started in 1996 or whatever. I have yet to watch it. Finish watching. It's it. terrible. Yeah, you're not missing anything. Um, I know. And, and this is you know I cannot do it. This is the bring in Christopher Nolan, and this is a real departure. And there's just a couple of things that I wanted to point out that I think are just really key. Is that the big one is uh, they want to make Batman more realistic. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means, because, of course, it's not realistic, but it is much more grounded in real technology and real psychology in really thinking about, well, how would a rich guy really do this, really show the training? And they said and and Nolan said one thing about Batman that I'd never heard before that I really like was that his model for Batman. And you'll like this Mm -hmm. is Teddy Roosevelt. 
Wow. Yeah. The self-made man. I know about that. Yeah. I had never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. He said, he said, this is a guy, because Teddy Roosevelt was like a sickly kid right. who who put himself through this massive amount of physical training, yes. went through huge tragedy. His wife and his mother died on the same day. Same day. And then he went out into the wilderness and, and really tested himself for years and years and years before coming back and mm-hmm. serving the public. Yeah. Wow. And I, I didn't know that. I, I, That's incredible, isn't it? At least he didn't have him say "bully, bully, <laughs> bully, bully, Joker, bully, oh, bully." Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, and I really, I remember going to see Batman Begins. I really, really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. I do not think it is at the level of this film no. at all. But it's certainly, I think, in you know, we were all geeks at that time. We all, I think, went okay. Yeah, we're in for more. Let's keep going. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the only other thing that I wanted to say about pre-production, because I really didn't find that much I want to say, and maybe you have more you want to add, is that from what I can see, the conception of how Heath Ledger played the Joker largely came from him. Yeah. That's that's what sort of... Fa- and, and, and the costume design. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Heath Ledger designed the costume. What? And designed the makeup. They no no technical assistant did it or stuff like that. There's it's weird the weird yeah you talk about Heath Ledger and the Joker hovering over this movie. I read something where Christopher Nolan said that he never considered anybody else but Heath Ledger, hmm. wow. and that he always had Heath Ledger in mind for this part. And that when Heath Ledger got this part, he was like, okay, I want to pick the clothes, I want to pick the look. And so Heath Ledger like went home one night, wow. did it, took a bunch of pictures. And then that's what the the, the makeup artist had to go off of, right. you know, everything. Like, Heath Ledger was very controlling of his performance of the Joker. And I think maybe that's the reason why it led to Oscar. Yeah. 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 Oh, and I think one thing we should say about pre-production as well is coming into a sequel. This is something that start that happens in superhero movies sometimes. Mm-hmm. They recast one of the minor characters. Katie Holmes was yes. the big complaint yep. that people had out of Batman Begins. Uh, nothing against Katie Holmes, but people's complaint mm-hmm. was that she wasn't quite up to snuff with what was going on or was the character the way it was done. Either way, people had a negative feeling about, overall, a negative feeling about Katie Holmes' participation in uh, Batman Begins, so they recast her with an with a more established independent uh, actress like Maggie mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal, who had built herself up from secretary and whatever. Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, obviously, and the daughter of a I think he's a, a, a director in Hollywood as well, Gyllenhaal, and so or a set designer, or whatever he was. But like they they wanted to establish, like you said, Steve, the real uh, a little more mm-hmm. reality, yeah, a little less of the out there and, for the kids, and thing. that leads into as well this movie, uh, Dark Knight is primarily shot in Chicago. Yeah, and yes. you can see it in so many yeah, shots. Absolutely. Yeah. Batman Begins was mostly shot in Pinewood. Yeah. Um, and the narrows, all the narrow sequences are sets. And I think they did one shot in Chicago. Like there's a shot where he's a gargoyle basically standing on the top of oh, a building. Yeah. Like I think that's actually Chicago in Batman Begins. But the rest of it is Pinewood. This movie, with the exception of Hong Kong, I think was entirely shot in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And you can see it. It feels so real. So many of my friends, I have some friends that live in Chicago and they tell me that every time they watch The Dark Knight or every time they drive down that street where the, the, yeah. the truck gets flipped. Right, yeah. down Wacker. It's Wacker, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, they call it Joker Street now. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's funny, too, because I, it, we said this, I think, when we talked about Superman, mm-hmm. which is that is that Batman, for whatever reason, so I don't think Superman is a flexible character. I think he's, in terms of what you can do with him. Mm-hmm. But Batman, we can have the Adam West Batman. And it's mm-hmm. great, and we yeah. can like that a lot. Yeah. And you could have the Tim Burton Batman and go, okay. And you can have the Frank Miller Batman, and you can have the Arkham Asylum Grant Morrison Dave McKean Batman. And you and all of these are really different. And now we can have this, you know, almost hyper realistic Chicago 
and we go, okay, yeah, you know, because Batman's the everyman. Yeah, we all can be Batman yeah. if we put our minds to no, it. No, we can't. Now we don't have the bank accounts. <laughs> we don't have the bank accounts, but because Batman's in the one percent, or the hockey but, pads, or the yeah. hockey pads. <laughs> yeah. uh, with Superman, we're not. None of us. Are, none of us. Are, none right. of us are alien gods. Right. Yeah. But we could be Batman if we put our mind to it. Yeah, and you could take that Batman character and put him into different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, One more thing about Heath Ledger that I found out is that he decided to prepare for this role to live alone in an apartment, not talking to anybody for a month, and keeping a journal, keeping Joker's journal. There's some, I think he he went to some places to do this. To be honest with you, and I hate to say this, I've always thought that, because I've heard that too, your your thing, um, I've always thought this this movie is the reason why he died. This I think People I think this unhooked before. something in his brain and it, and it never the door never got closed again. Sometimes the the really great ones go way deep in there and mm-hmm. can't climb back out. It happens you hear about it every once in a while and I would not be surprised. Yeah. You know, he was taking su- such amount of prescription mm-hmm. drugs and All sorts he was different. using other people's drugs, you know, Elizabeth oh, oh, I'm, I don't want to the uh, allegations are that one of the Olsen twi- all the Olsen sisters was helping him get these drugs. Mm-hmm. So it's like he obviously needed to self-medicate in some way yep. and it ended up in the situation that he ended up in. Well, and I think there's a chicken and the egg thing too, which right. is that the was the, he already the inter- up? Well, yeah. well, the yeah. the internal makeup necessary yeah. to play a part like the Joker. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can go do that. If you don't have sure. that in you, it's mm-hmm. hard to play the Joker. And playing the Joker is going to expose things in you yeah. that maybe you don't want to get to. And, yeah. and and who knows? I don't want to analyze what happened. I mean, it's a tragedy, exactly. right? But but you know, clearly he went through a lot to play this part. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we get into the movie? Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. We start with that Joker music. <laughs> that dissonant, grinding, uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I always thought it was it was uh, the composer's Hans Zimmer. And Hans Zimmer is one of the great yeah, composers. Sure. And the score for this movie is amazing. And I always thought this was some kind of digitally created, computer generated sound. And mm. it's not. Apparently, he went through every kind of crazy thing to make this sound. He had like razor blades dragging against metal, glass grinding on each other. Like just all these hundreds of weird sounds. And finally what it is, is it's Two notes played on a cello, and that's all it is. Oh, mm-hmm. and it's a live guy. This is just a guy right. sitting there going. That's great. And and what what he what Zimmer says is that this cellist, who's I'm sure a great cellist, that he would have to play this so much that he was uncomfortable. I mean, it would make him physically upset mm-hmm. to just be in that sound for so long. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense because just that whole beginning, you. The as low as that note is, it's it stirs something inside mm. you that's unsettling, and maybe you don't want to confront, which is what the Joker is. Yep. Oh yeah, and they and, use it to great effect too, because they further on in the movie they use that sound moments before he comes on screen, yeah. so it builds up this anticipation where you're like, where is he? Where yes, is he? where that's is a he? Great point, yeah, yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like the Jaws music. I mean, yeah. it's like oh, as yeah. soon as yeah, you yeah, hear yeah. it, yeah. You're, you know, like, oh, that's where it's coming, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we start on this unbelievably. Bank heist, which, as you said, yeah. I didn't know that they showed before. Yeah. Um, well, now I forgot what the movie was. Uh, it was I, I Am Legend. I Am Legend. And That's I, th- right. I think, you know, and I, and, I, and I could be completely wrong, but from what I remember back then, I want to say that they did that because Nolan wanting to shoot this movie 
parts of it in IMAX was unheard of. Yeah, and people thought it was an idiotic idea. I remember him getting a lot of flack for this. And they did that as kind of an idea to sell the IMAX ticket when mm. it came out. Mm. Um, and I will tell you this, that it worked. It looked yeah. amazing. I think, I, I mean, even watching it on a Blu-ray last week, I thought it looked amazing. Yeah, It's an amazing looking movie. And this yeah. sequence was shot on IMAX. It's the mm-hmm. first time a theatrical film had been shot on IMAX, although they had shot you know, in space and on right, Mount Everest, right, right. but they hadn't actually shot a theatrical movie. And part of it is those cameras are really big and really heavy. Mm-hmm. And the loads you would have to shoot with, uh, you can only, they might only have a 30 second load or a three minute load, or, or, or as opposed to when you're shooting 35, you have a 12 minute load or 15 minute load. Mm-hmm. And so the, so you're constantly reloading with these really heavy, really difficult to And I've heard they're very cameras. loud. Oh, they're right? really loud. Yeah. So you couldn't really, they had to re record dialogue because the mm-hmm. cameras are really loud. That's a great oh, point. Wow. So there's reasons why this was a really hard thing to do, but the look is undeniable. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the cityscape, and then you have this first, that first shot of the Joker yeah. of Heath Ledger from behind, shoulders slumped. There, I don't know, you know, what about his acting or back acting or backing? Backing, always backing, yeah. Is, is, uh, is so powerful but there's something about him just standing there mm-hmm. he's lithe man he's yeah. lithe he's that that uh, to me is a personification of that word at any moment any his joints can go in any number of directions mm-hmm. and do the things she's doing and is it there's an economy of movement with him throughout this whole sequence as it's all happening and the disheveled the disheveled hair that does like stringy yep. kind of greasy mm-hmm. and the clown the clown masks are everything now I don't know whether this is actually true or not because I've yes. seen this as a meme on the internet. I've seen this in lots of fake internet articles where it's like the facts you don't know. <laughs> there, Heath Ledger's specific clown mask yeah. is almost identical to a clown mask that uh, Cesar Romero wears in Batman sixty six. And I wow. I don't know whether this is con- I kind of looked for it. I couldn't find it, but like it is too similar to be a coincidence i think i I think either somebody in the film like somebody in the film had to have specifically picked that mask but go check it out go google it okay well and and those cinephiles out there if you can confirm this yeah please do because i would like to know Mm -hmm. um and we're we're heading there's other guys in clown masks and we're heading into some kind of Mm -hmm. heist and we start to hear about people have different shares and that we hear the name the joker uh come up um and and we go into this uh, bank robbery, and the bank is a unused post office in Chicago that had oh, been shut it? down. Yeah, that's, oh, what wow. that's what they're doing it in. Um, and and we have our first moment where there's this guy who stops a silent alarm, and as soon as he so- sh- stops the silent alarm, the other guy shoots him. Yep, one fewer share. This is like right away you're in, going, "What the hell is happening?" And here? you're right away going, "Yeah, this is the Joker. This makes absolute sense. He has this incredible ability to ha- to." get uh, loyalty from these criminals Mm -hmm. and they're willing to do it for whatever in self-destructive ways just to be part of this circle with the joker and and kill other people and in the end they have no knowledge if they're going to survive the situation just like azarello's joker with that guy who who comes the henchman guy the mook yeah yeah the mook who goes through the whole thing yeah it's Mm -hmm. incredible yeah I, I, certain parts of this movie, I think maybe I don't want to work for the Joker. <laughs> you don't. And see, that, that's that's one of the things that I liked about this movie so much was this finally gave us a version of the comic book Joker that we'd never seen in live action before. The same thing that I liked about Batman Begins giving us a comic book version of Batman that we'd never seen before. Mm. The Joker in the comic books is very much like if you work for him, at any second you could die. Yep. Any yep. second. And the Joker is the type of guy that he would just walk down the street of Gotham City and just randomly... He wouldn't shoot everybody. He'd 
pick random people because that's how insane he is. And and this whole plan to me, like you said, John, I was like, oh, this is exactly how the Joker would operate. Yeah. Like, you don't if you work for the Joker, the payoff's good, but can you make it to the end of the mission? Yeah, it's almost a challenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, and we, we go into the to this bank. We see William Fishner, who's a great supporting actor, yeah. and a million different things. We have guys goes down with a huge drill gun, whatever to get through that safe. Mm-hmm. We're drilling through the safe. Um, William Fishner pulls a gun, shoots one of our guys. Two of our clowns, particularly the one with that really interesting mask, are kind of cowering behind something. Um, and and Finchner goes off on, do you have any idea who you're stealing from? Right. And we get a sense, oh, this is like a mob bank. Yeah, because the alarm never gets uh, yep. the, the alarm. Yeah, the guy on the roof said it, it didn't yeah. go into a private number. Yeah, yeah. It went to a yeah. private number. And that's, yeah, you yeah. know, it's not a, a regular bank. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and one of the clowns asked the other, you know, oh, he's out, right? He's out of bullets. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he was not, not out. Who told you to count, yeah, man? Yeah. Uh, but then we shoot Fitchner. Guy opens up the safe, and again they're having this t- talk about where's the alarm guy. Boss told me when the guy was done, I should take him out. <laughs> One less share, right? Funny, he told me something similar. <laughs> no, no. And it's, now it's dawning on you, kind of what exactly is going to happen here. Yeah. Um, and we have our two guys who are up uh, in the main thing of the bank, and and one of them has figured it out. He said, "I'm betting the Joker told you to kill me as soon as we loaded the cash." <sighs> no, 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 no! I killed the bus driver. <laughs> this is just a great, great film, and I love the way he sort of steps slightly yeah. aside. <laughs> And then, boom, a bus crashes through the wall. What bus driver? Runs over and that runs guy, o- yeah. And runs over that guy. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the only way they could get the bus into this unused post office was to disassemble it and reassemble it inside. Shut Are you serious? Up. Yes. Now, I don't know exactly <laughs> what that means. Holy crap. Like, how much did they disassemble it? Yeah. Um, and then the wall, they had to build that wall for it to crash through. Oh, yeah. Oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, like, I remember watching that movie being like, there's no way that wall, that bus goes through that bank wall. Yeah. No <laughs> way. But it's a movie logic, so I'll give it to Wait, you. And then uh, Fincher's still alive. And is saying, you know, you know, it's kind of talking about this idea of honor among thieves Mm. and that you're stealing from these people that, you know, there was a system and you don't have any, you know, what do you believe in? And then he pulls off his mask and says what he believes in. Whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. And we get our first real glimpse of that face. And I love it because just the the shaking of the mm-hmm. hair and the shot, and you're just like, holy shit. But it, yeah, it's also awesome too. Like, think about this is the f- introductory shot of the Joker. Yeah. And I think in movies and, and especially like comic books and, and stories, the way a character is introduced into yes. your story says something. Yeah. And this shot is so uncomfortably close to it. Like, it doesn't even really show his hair. It, like, mm. cuts off his forehead and it cuts off his chin. Yeah. And that's all you see. And you kind of, like, take the place of William Fitchner where mm-hmm. you're just like, this ugly, gross dude is right up in my face. And, and he doesn't even look at him in the eye. He's just like, he's not looking above mm-hmm. and then does the thing. But you get enough time on his face do you see the scars across yeah. his mouth mm-hmm. this is a joker we've never seen before this isn't Cesar Romero putting tape over his mustache this isn't <laughs> this isn't Jack Nicholson with the big smile and the white face coming out of the darkness mm-hmm. which was also a nice introduction of him as the joker yeah this is something completely different and you can't negotiate with this you can't plan for this and it's perfect well those jokers were criminals 
right. who were there to like steal stuff. Yes. You know, and they had weird ways that they wanted to do it. And it's funny too, because the, you know, I think the old style Joker from, you know, back in the day, and certainly Cesar Romero was the, the Riddler was about riddles and the Joker was about jokes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That is not what this is. No, you know, it's interesting. Um, in, in my job, I've got to interview uh, uh, Paul Dini, who is oh, yeah. a big, he created Harley Quinn, yeah. and he's a big part of the Batman the Animated Series. And I remember he told me once in an interview, which I thought was a great piece about the Joker, he said that he feels that everything the Joker says should be a joke. Now, I don't think that this, that's this Joker at all. No, no. But like, I like to think about the Joker being like, oh, he's that you know failed comedian, very Alan Moore killing joke, yeah. trying to tell right. jokes, but, you know, his jokes are killing people. I, I I think he's the Joker in a different way, and that and I mean like you what you said. Yeah, he's supposed to tell jokes. His joke is bigger. It's oh, yeah. society is the joke, and he's yeah. trying to Humans show the you. joke. Humans mm-hmm. are the joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, it's so great. Um, and he gets in the bus, pulls out, and I love that the bus pulls into a big line of buses. Yeah. Yep. And the, and what the thing I love about that so much is it shows the precision and timing mm-hmm. that was necessary to pull this thing off. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's so fascinating about it is like, oh, the Joker, in fact, works alone Yeah. in this weird way. He brought in all these people. Mm-hmm. All these people are now gone. And he's alone with a whole bunch of money right. in a bus. Right. He shoots that bus driver. Now, <laughs> I, this, this will not be the first time that I raise this issue. Because that is correct. The planning for this bus is perfection and it's right. clockwork. And that he, you know, he had to know that this line of buses got released from the school at a certain point. Yeah. Now- there's a line that the Joker later says in the movie where he says, do I look like I'm a man with a plan? Yes. Yes. He says, I don't believe in plans. You believe in plans. This is very planned out. <laughs> of course it is. So I guess is the idea is, and, and it's something that I've sort of had to do to carry this logic. You're saying some of the things he says might not be true? No, I'm saying they're all, I'm saying they're all jokes. Yeah. Oh, they're all jokes. fair points. Okay. Uh, um, but, but like I, th- that... I've had people give me that that that's the sense of being behind this Joker so many times where like oh he's an agent of chaos and I'm like yeah. no he's not he is precision planned well he's yeah, both yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. he is he is p- working really hard and planning this mm-hmm. stuff to create chaos sure you know but it isn't well and this is it's funny I was thinking I wasn't sure where I would bring this up exactly but you know when I teach my students how to put together a story and they have a bad guy I always say like your bad guy plan has to make sense you have to understand how your bad guy is trying to do what they're trying to yeah. do, they might never get to do it because your good guy's going to come up. Like a perfect example is Die Hard. Like Hans mm-hmm. had a plan, and you could look at exactly what his plan was. He was going to take this place hostage. He was going to keep it quiet for long enough to get through the first six locks. Then the FBI was going to come down. So they were going to turn off the power, get through the seventh lock. That allowed him to get into the safe. Then they were going to march all the people up on the roof. The FBI was going to come. They were going to blow the roof, and they were going to escape in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. And they never do that because John McClane shows up. Um, But you should, as a writer, figure out how are the bad guys doing what they're doing. In this movie, we we have no idea. It's not, nothing Mm -hmm. he's doing is even remotely possible. You know, it does, it's so, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of almost treated as mystical. Yeah. Like, he has some mystical ability, you know, because we get to, like, blowing up the hospital and all the, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. how did this guy do these things (laughs) instantly? Well, it's interesting because he weirdly... He makes it's interesting because a lot of this movie, I think, is the juxtaposition of Batman's ideals of Gotham versus the Joker's mm-hmm. ideals of Gotham. And 
uh, it is mystical, but in a lot of ways, it's almost like the Joker can predict the yes. chaos of Gotham. Like yep. he knows exactly how the way these He's people are going to act. Ten steps ahead of yeah. everybody, all and the Batman time. is always behind yeah. until the end of the movie. Right, and, and even then, yeah. he barely caught. Yeah, he caught barely up. gets. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we go to the bat signal. And uh, there's Gordon there, and he's shooting it up there just because he wants to scare the criminals. And we get the sense that we've evolved to a new place since Batman Begins. Well, real quick, we see Montoya up there. Ramirez. Montoya. Ramirez. She's not Ramirez. Montoya. She's, she was... Yeah. Oh, we, so this is a production thing. Good. So she was yeah. supposed to be Montoya, Renee yeah. Montoya, which is a very famous Batman the Animated Series character. Batman character later becomes the question. The GCBT. But GCBT. She becomes, she becomes the question? She yeah. becomes oh, the question in the comic books. Yeah. Uh, uh, See, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years out. Oh, from sure. sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will bring you back to the promised land, my friend. Um, DC did not want Nolan to make Renee the betrayer. Oh. So that's the reason why he had to make up a brand new character. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if he had cast her already knowing that they had to. Like, I mean, to me, it's, it's pretty obvious that she's yeah, Montoya. She's Montoya. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because yeah, GCPD had just started coming out as a comic yeah. around this time as well. So this was a character mm-hmm. that you would immediately feel you know because of the what you've read or seen that so that old mm-hmm. uh, so that Gordon has this relationship with her yep. already. Yes. And there's another character in this movie that's very similar to Harvey Bullock. Yes. But he's not. Yeah, it's not hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so we head off to this parking lot, and there's this uh, some criminals showing up, and there we get our old friend, the Scarecrow from Batman Begins. Yeah. I kind of feel weird that they brought him back for this. I sort of like seems like just a little bit. He does the whole trilogy. Because no, he's right. He's right. Batman, Batman the Dark Knight Rises. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing I, I hated about the the '90s Batman movies is that no villain ever crossed, mm. and yeah. and that to me made it feel like more of an interconnected world. And I love it when he shows up in the third one again. I guess he must. Christopher Nolan must think he's a good luck charm. And Kieran must, uh, uh, Killian must Killian. look. I'm doing it, yeah, because it's a great. And he's not a big part. He's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, this is a really small part, yeah. and we're in the middle of him doing a scarecrow thing, and here comes Batman. Yeah, Batman. Batman, right? Exactly. With a gun. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what's going on here? That doesn't seem like Batman. Yep. And of course, there are these Batman imposters who have been inspired by him to go out. And this is sort of kind of out of Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sons but, of the Batman. Yeah, but then the real Batman comes up right. in the Tumblr. He, he takes out the fake guys. He's cutting into the van. He gets hit by a pillar while the van is driving, mm-hmm. which looked really painful to me. Um, and... And there's this great moment where he's talking to one of the imposters, and the guy says, what's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants. I'm not wearing hockey pants. I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> and the way the thing closes on him, mm-hmm. that's Batman. That's Batman. He does not look at you because you're not worth it to him in those moments. Mm-hmm. He is a whole other person. This, Bruce Wayne yeah. would look at you. Yeah. Batman doesn't. Yeah. This is also the scene... Um, that to me told me this was going to be a different Batman movie because if you notice his fighting style yeah. in this opening scene compared to Batman Begins, he's slower mm-hmm. yep. and he's and he's very deliberate with er- and that's his fighting style for the rest of the movie. Whereas in Batman Begins, it was very kicks and ninja, yeah, and stuff like you know, and flips. And- it was Casey, is yeah. Casey style, which I'm yeah. sure you know about, Steve. Yeah, as a martial artist. Well, p- p- part of that is also um, one of the things they're going to set up is that. The suit that he's wearing is is too makes slows him down. It's too, right. it's too heavy. Right. Can't turn his head. Um, and we're going to get to that in a little while. But right now, we're going to get to Batman meeting with Gordon and the talk about this new DA and can you trust him? And that becomes an important question for the whole film. Can we trust this Harvey Dent guy? Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because from what I read, um, and I and Jason, you maybe sure. can verify this. Uh, Nolan. Re- Thought he was going to be done after this. He de- yes. he was getting sick of making the film, 
and or like planning for the film, writing for the film. And he originally Harvey Dent was going to be the villain in the third film. Yeah, right. And so he put him in Dark Knight because he thought he was going to finish after Dark Knight. And of course, they forced him to do Dark Knight Rises. And I think you could argue. It's a, it's the lesser of the three, and there may be a reason mm-hmm, for that mm-hmm. because he he uh, had you know was not ready to do it or didn't want to do it. But you can feel in the Dark Knight that Harvey Dent does feel a little bit shoved into the situation throughout the whole movie. And although there's a nice storyline, I do feel the way he's presented, they have to create space for him rather than it organically yeah. has space for him, and that's what. Uh, I feel like even in this first scene, that's how he is. I agree with you. I, I agree with you because so they've always they've always said that the original story treatment that Goyer and Nolan came up with was it was yeah it was Ra's al Ghul Batman Begins Joker in the second one and then the third one was supposed to be Trial of the Joker and that's how Harvey Dent was going to oh, turn. Oh, interesting. Um, and and you're right. Somewhere during the production of this was where Christopher Nolan was like, "I'm done." Yeah. And he wanted to do Two Face, so he sort of shoved them in here. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you. It is a little forced. And another thing to note is that David Goyer apparently did the first draft of this movie, but the final draft is by the Nolan brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, we have seen over and over and over again comic book movies suffer from too many villains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's just a standard stupid thing that I never have understood. Like you don't, well, you don't need to use all these characters in here. Right. Save them. They're great. And this is a great film. And so I, I don't think it suffers as much. No. But for me, Two Face is the number two Batman villain. For me, mm. I and agree with you on that. That's and so like yeah. having him be, you know, really second banana and not. And then die. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> what are you listening for? <laughs> for a ten-year-old movie, you know, um, it's like it's it's very it still just seems very wasteful. Yeah. Um, anyway, but we've just heard about Harvey sure. Dent. We haven't even met him yet, much less Two Face. Um, Alfred is looking around for Batman. Bruce in the penthouse doesn't find him. He, now we find out what's where the new Batcave is. He goes down to the docks, right. goes into some bunker storage container. Is that what it's called? The bunker. I, I yeah. I I have the 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 book that's the script of this movie, oh, yeah. and, and they call it the bunker. Oh. And it yeah. goes down in some elevator, and there we find Bruce in this fairly cool design, yeah. all lit ceiling, mm-hmm. very square, flat, deep space. Uh, it's really cool, and that's where that's where Bruce is. You can trade not sleeping in a penthouse for not <laughs> sleeping in a mansion. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, and uh, again, we're talking about the new district attorney and this yeah. question of can he be trusted? Um, and we also find out we hear a little bit about Rachel mm-hmm. and um, and they're, they're, and that they're having a relationship, relationship, mm-hmm. right? So now this is it. You bring Rachel Dawes back, and you bring Rachel Dawes, and you have her have a relationship with somebody else. And the thing is, Harvey Dent in the history of Batman comics is Bruce Wayne's best friend. Uh, there have been storylines with him where he is Bruce right. Wayne's best friend. Then he turns, which is why Bruce can never kill or Batman can never fully kill him because he is his best mm-hmm. friend, you know. And so there is always that. But with this, you turn him into a romantic rival, which is interesting. Yep. And you make Bruce a little jealous, which I liked actually. And because the first film is essentially Batman Year One by Mazzucchelli, you have that. There's elements of that. So yep. then you move into this, and this is a this is a slightly better Batman, but he's still. A kind of a younger guy, so he's mm-hmm. he's prone to these human flaws, these human foibles, and this whole thing of being just so Rachel is his tie to the past and what he hopes will be his future if he can put this away. And so the whole film is interesting because is his impetus to stop being Batman absolutely to be with Rachel? Or oh, not? I agree. I think it totally is. Yeah, yeah. he it's fascinating. It's interesting because I would say that the giant theme of this movie is that Bat Batman believes 
that he can quit being Batman. Yeah. And the movie is like, no, you can't. I would say he <laughs> wants to believe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really wants to believe that. And 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 what's what's weird about the movie is there's a lot of this is a weird movie. I mean, funny, I'll just say I'll just say like one of the things I do in prepping is that I want to be able to talk through the whole movie, and so I yeah. watch the film, I take all my notes, and usually I'm pretty good at keeping in my head film structure. That's yeah. just you know something I'm pretty good at. I finished going through this. I did all my notes, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, wait, I don't remember how all this works. And I had to go through it all again. It kind of torpedoes traditional action. It is yeah. so yeah. all over the place and hard to keep track of. And one of the interesting things about it is that Christian Bale, the theoretical lead of this movie, yeah. he doesn't have that much to do. No. no. You know, we, we don't yeah. spend that much time with him. This is Kalinowski's main gripe about the movie is that the Joker is in it more than the Batman. And, you know? I, and, and I and I have said that to you as well, yes, that this yes. is more the Joker's movie than it is Batman's movie. It is movie. unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. It's not a gripe to me. No, no, it's no, even no, by terms of screen yeah. time, it's the Joker's movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and because every scene the Joker is in, it is he's magnetic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, many of the scenes Batman is in, he's talking to someone about a thing, and then he disappears, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go off to trial. I have such a soft spot for Eric Roberts. Oh yeah, <laughs> that crazy motherfucker, man. I just do. He's our, he's, you know, if you live through the '80s, you live through Eric Roberts, yeah. man. He has t- two of my guilty pleasures. Okay, one which is really terrible, which is Best of the Best. But in my time oh, of the wa- fight, the fight movie, yeah, yes. my time of watching every martial arts movie I could ever find. Yes. As American martial arts movies of the '80s went, that was pretty good. Yeah, and if someone wanted us to talk about that on as, as a guilty pleasure Patreon, please donate. Sure, that you would donate be some fun. money. We'll I'll, talk about. I'll it. give you a guilty pleasure, uh, uh, really hard cut. I think of Eric Roberts as the master from the Fox. That was my other Doctor one. Who movie. I, oh, was that your other no, one? No, no, oh no, no. <laughs> No, it isn't. It isn't. Because, yeah. wait, you finish yours. Yeah, yeah. There's I, I, a reason like, why he, I got he was excited. The, he was the master in the Fox Doctor Who reboot that failed spectacularly. Oh, my God. In 96. That is hilarious. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. I'm, I must see that now. It's okay. okay. No, when you said the master. <laughs> yeah, what did you think I was saying? I thought you were thinking of my other guilty pleasure, which is nobody has ever seen, uh-huh. which is a movie called By the Sword, where he plays the master fencer, <laughs> where everyone calls him maestro. <laughs> okay. And the and the star of the movie is F. Murray Abraham. Oh wow! What? Yes, and <laughs> yes. The, the, the plot is that uh, Eric Roberts is this great fencer who killed his. Uh, and oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Eric Roberts is this great fencer, and uh, F. Murray Abraham had killed his previous master in a duel and had been in prison for 20 years, wow. and now has come out and is working at the janitor of Eric Roberts' fencing school. Oh wow. It, listen, <laughs> Murray Abraham will just do anything, won't he? He right. will. He will. I think I <laughs> totally like this movie. It's a total guilty pleasure. I you wanna, can't find it anywhere. Yeah. I will throw one in Runaway Train. That is my guilty sure. pleasure mm-hmm. of Eric Roberts from the 80s. And yeah. that's Maddie. I don't know what we're going to do, Maddie. Like, just everything in the whole movie is fantastic. So. But right now, Eric yep. Roberts is playing a mobster. Uh-huh. Yeah, doing a pretty good job, and he's on trial, and Harvey Dent is the. Is the district attorney and Rachel is the other attorney yeah. serving, and they're they've mm-hmm. got some and guy on the Maroney, witness stand, which is the gangster in the comic books that throws That's... the acid at Harvey Dent. Yes, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, you're yeah, here. yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a time when I knew these things. Yeah, I know <laughs> them all. I know them all. And and I mean, as... no one can't get Robin right, but he gets everything else right. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 as this trial is going on, this witness who is supposed to turn on Eric Roberts suddenly says, "Nope, I'm not doing it. I did it," and then. Pulls a gun on Harvey Dent. Mm-hmm. And I guess the safety was on or something because he tries to pull the trigger and fails. Mm-hmm. And Harvey Dent moves pretty fast, grabs the gun, punches the guy in the face, pulls the clip out of the gun, pulls it apart. And he, man, he seems kind of like a badass. Yeah. And then he makes a made in the USA joke. 
Carbon fiber, 28 caliber, main China. If you want to kill a public servant, Mr. Maroney, I recommend you buy American. But I think this is a, a play to the fans mm-hmm. I, because we think it's Maroney. We think, oh, the gun, this is how he's going to get scarred. This is how right. he's going to do. But it turns out he's it's going to be a different way, which yeah. is great. Um, we're out in the hallway and Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's playing Rachel, mm-hmm. she doesn't seem very bothered by the fact that she Harvey almost got killed. on by it. She's, yeah. That's yeah, how I would describe does. it, yeah. too. I'm glad you're so pleased, Rachel. I'm fine, by the way. Come on, Harvey. You're Gotham's DA. You're not getting shot at. You're not doing your job right. But, you know, if you said you were rattled, we could take the rest of the day off. Seems like sort of strange behavior. Apparently, if you wear a mask and you do it, she doesn't like it. But if you don't wear a mask and you do it, it's pretty hot. She's all into it. it. <laughs> um, and, and Harvey doesn't seem to be really phased by this at all. I would be phased. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. We go off, and uh, Harvey Dent is meeting with Gordon, and Dent wants to meet Batman. And he says, I'm on this team. I'm ready to help you. I know you're trying to take, go after this mob money, and I want to be a part of it. Gordon is resisting. And again, we're in this weird thing, which I think the movie is telling us, but maybe not showing us so much that we maybe reasons we can't trust Harvey Dent because we keep talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then Harvey also kind of undercuts Jim a little bit in this situation because he's saying you, you that scum you work with. I've investigated them for internal yeah. affairs. Yeah. So they're both they're, in a way they're both what lack of a better term sword fighting about their yeah. particular departments. Yeah. Right. And so you have that back and forth because it's just like two lines circling each other, seeing who's the strongest yeah. of the two, because Gordon is messing with him, doesn't sit down initially, mm-hmm. doesn't and messes with him back and forth. So it's that kind of thing. And also let's admire the set design of I Harvey's love, yeah. office I love this because office. I don't know what what room that they filmed in, but you can tell like their idea for this office was like, okay, we have this space, put up shelves of legal files, yeah. and then just let's show Chicago behind then glass, it. yeah. And yeah. it looks amazing. Yeah. It looks so amazing. It's a it's a Totally, I literally have the set yeah. design notes <laughs> nice. at that moment. Nice. Totally, totally agree. <laughs> um, and then this other thing comes up where Gordon maybe sarcastically describes Harvey as the White Knight, mm-hmm. which we're going to hear again. And then Harvey is the one who says, yeah, but you guys had another name for me, didn't you? And I think we know what that name is. It yeah. is hinted at, but mm-hmm. not said at mm-hmm. this point. I also believe that this is the first mention of the term white knight being used in the Batman lexicon. Now, mm-hmm. since this movie, I believe it's this movie that did it. Since this movie, that term has been used in a lot of Batman comics. And even like right now, in reference to Harvey Dent or in reference to just like Batman or to this ideal. And mm-hmm. there is a Batman miniseries right now that is called Batman white knights being published right now. Oh, and I, and like, as far as I know, that phrase or that idea came from this movie. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, there's this weird, you know, Back and forth mm-hmm. between the movies and, and the comics, you know. The comics obviously inspire the movies, but then when you have a cool thing, you know, like the Fortress of Solitude and Crystals and all that stuff it from came Superman. from Richard Donner. That all yeah. comes from Richard Donner. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad, and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? 
free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Um, so we're, uh, we're off to Wayne Enterprises. We're having some very important board meeting, a deal with a Chinese gentleman. Um, and is that his name? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Lucius Fox is handling the meeting and Bruce Wayne is in attendance <laughs> in the sense that he is present, yes. but not conscious. No. He is asleep. Um, or it, pretending to be asleep. I, I never know. I, with Bruce. You know, it's it's it, yeah. You can't tell mm-hmm. with Bruce. Like he could be pretend sleep because he's yeah. Batman. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the whole thing is about Bruce. It's Wayne, a fair point. Yeah. You know, being like uh, uh, you know aloof and not aware mm-hmm. of things and a rich yeah. kid. It's it's that whole act. And it sounds like we're very very close to a deal with these guys. And uh, the meeting ends, and Bruce goes off to talk to Lucius Fox about this suit. About like I can't turn my head. It's too heavy. It's too slow. And what's what I really like about this is that the experience of the actor and the filmmaking parallels the experience of the character in the mm. movie. Is oh, that yes. is that they is that in this and this is what I love about what Christopher Nolan is doing. He's taking a the real problem that they're facing and using it as oh well that would be a problem that Batman is facing and right. let's practically try to solve it, which they do. And that 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 creates mm. the idea of redesigning a new suit. Mm-hmm. Can we also talk about like Morgan Freeman in the part of Lucius Fox? Fantastic. So great does so many amazing choices and so many amazing scenes with dialogue that I think a lesser actor would not handle as well. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of Lucius Fox's dialogue is just exposition. Here's how the suit works. Here's how this thing works. Here's how this thing. But like, because it's Morgan Freeman, you're just in it. You're in it and you buy it and you're not bored by it. And Because it is basically... The Q scene from every James Bond movie. Right. Yeah, totally. That's a great point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because Morgan Freeman is charming and witty yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. Su- surprising. And I love the way he gets his little digs in. Mr. Yeah. Wayne. Oh, well, yeah. I, I wouldn't do that if, oh, maybe look at the maybe instruction at manual the instruction. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. use it, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> so, you know, he has this kind of respect from Bruce. And so, naturally, we as the audience will give him respect as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. Um, I always think about the fact, particularly in this movie, where you know, every single technology that a big company, you know, Apple or General mm-hmm. Motors, whoever tries to put out, it frequently doesn't work and takes massive amounts of testing to yeah. figure it out. We don't seem to have that problem with Wayne Enterprises. Lucius Fox is great. <laughs> he yeah. is really He's good. so good. <laughs> he is that Isn't good. Isn't it also crazy that he is basically the CEO or CFO or whatever you want to call it sure. uh, uh, of this company? And, and then... At certain times of his day, he has to sneak down to the basement and put together Batman's cape. <laughs> this is what I always wonder. There must be other people working on this. There has to be, there has right? To be you would hope so. He, he doesn't have the time. I mean, he can't build a tank. No guy can build a tank by himself. Well, it's, and he's the CEO. You know? it, it's 1.45. Time to go build that tank downstairs. Um, I'm going to be in a meeting for the next what, six hours. Six hours. <laughs> Marjorie? Uh, Rachel and Harvey Dent are off on a date. Um, it looks like they're about to have a nice date, and who shows up? Yeah, but Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. he's got a got a beautiful ballerina on his arm. Mm-hmm. 
But we but we also get this presentation, which is a great before Bruce shows up, is that, you know, it took Harvey three months to get this reservation. It's really difficult to get it. So you get the idea that Bruce is, I mean, that Harvey is this kind of driven working collar, working blue collar guy. Like yeah. he may he may radiate white collar in the job that he's at, but yeah. he has this like drive within him to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, he is driven by something else. It isn't arrogance. It's a desire to be heard and be seen and be treated as such. And so when Bruce shows up and invites himself into the situation, and it says, well, they, they, they do because I own the place. It's so it, it leads into the Bruce Wayne stuff, but it also creates a natural, like, once again, uh, a dick measuring contest, for lack of a better term, between Bruce and Harvey here. Well, and, and, and I would say that uh, Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne is maybe the most dickish of all the Bruce Waynes. <laughs> He's my I've favorite seen. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He he is. He's my favorite. He's my favorite live action Bruce Wayne yeah. because he's the first. And he captured that in Batman Begins with the scene of like, "I'm so glad you drink my booze." Oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. get the hell I out. Lo- I love that. Scene. And and he's the first one, more so than Affleck, more yeah. so than any of the '90s Batmans that really gets the dual side. That like yes. Bruce Wayne is this you know affluent playboy, but everybody underestimates. But he's just so driven. Yeah. Um, and what they what do they end up talking about? They talk about Batman, yeah. and they're on what we would think of as the opposite sides. The district attorney is being kind of supportive of Batman, and the person who actually is Batman seems to have a problem with Batman. Right. Gotham City is proud of an ordinary citizen standing up for what's right. Gotham needs heroes like you, elected officials, not a man who thinks he is above exactly. the law. Exactly. Who appointed the Batman? We did. All of us who stood by and let scum take control of our city. And it's led by the ballerina. Yeah. The discussion is led by the ballerina, which I thought was interesting, too. And and then there's this line, which, you know, is one of those lines that is in the movie to be foreshadowing and to be in the trailer. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I don't think people speak like that, even in comic book movies. And that line just <laughs> sticks out like a sore thumb. It does. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's like one of the lines that everybody remembers from this movie yeah. as well. Mm. Well, it was, I'm, I'm sure it was in the trailer. I haven't looked at the trailer in a while. I'm sure it was. it was. I'm yeah. sure it was. Yes. Yeah. And, it, you know, you are literally saying what is about to happen mm-hmm. to this character. Mm-hmm. And then there's this idea that gets established. Maybe you, we need someone to take up the mantle from Batman, someone like you. Look, whoever the Batman is, he doesn't want to do this for the rest of his life. How could he? Batman is looking for someone to take up his mantle. Someone like you, Mr. Dent? Maybe. And yeah. Bruce says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, a, a benefit for you. Yeah, but once again, here he is. He's, he's, in a way, he's still, he's still bragging. He's still trying to best Harvey in this competition for Rachel. Because he, he makes these little cracks. Oh, you like the ballet, do you? Or, or, or whatever. Like, oh, you like this or that. And then, and, and then he says, like, I, well, you don't understand. If I throw a fundraiser, you'll never have to throw another one. See, I, I don't see this as a jab. See, for yep. me, I, I see this as, as Batman's first story turn. I think mm. this is where Bruce first believes the idea that this guy could take over. This guy... Oh, really? Like, yeah, I see that those, those jabs as him testing him. He's like, I'm going to throw this at him and see how he responds. And Great Harvey point, Jason. goes the right way okay. every time. And yeah. so that's why I think at the end of the scene, Bruce is like, all right, I'm going to throw the fundraiser for you because you passed my test. That's a great point, Jason. Okay. I think all, what's, what's hard about the scene, because I think all of that is true. I think there's like three levels oh, sure, going sure. on. There's three yeah. levels. Cause, and what's hard, with is Bruce Wayne, well, <laughs> and what's hard with Bruce Wayne is that he is playing a role of being an asshole. Right. Like that is part of the persona that he is creating. And so the some of the dick measuring sort of competitive things, well, is that 
him pretending to be an asshole, right. or is but he also clearly is still in love with Rachel, mm-hmm. and he does later on talk to her and says, "Look, if I stop being Batman, you yeah. said you come back to me, right? right?" So this whole and so and he does want to stop being Batman on some level, and he wants someone else to take on the mantle for Gotham City, mm-hmm. but that also exists within the then I can get the girl back, and so which one of those yeah. is has primacy in this moment? And if I'm remembering yeah. right, that's she makes that promise at the end of Begins. Am I correct? Like I don't the final remember. Scene? Uh, yes. Like I she's like, she I'll does. be here for you once Batman. I think so. When they're talking on the rubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and also, Steve, it may be also a selfish impulse because if he takes over, then Rachel can't be in love with him because exactly. he's Batman. So well, he- wait, 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 wait. Are you? Do you think that he's saying you're going to take over and be Batman? No. Or do you think he's saying you're going to be the white knight, the crusading district oh, attorney, so there doesn't okay. need to be a Batman? All right. But within this scene is also conversation of Harvey Dent possibly being Batman. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, so this is a weird movie. Because she puts a the thing over his face. On. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now we're going to go off and have a mob meeting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're walking through a metal detector into this kind of basement-y Metal detector in a kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of metal around. And yeah. the- uh, A lot of and, steel pots in that kitchen. And Lau is, <laughs> Lau is on a TV. Yeah. And Skype before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a four by three TV, too. Yeah, it's an right. old CRT, <laughs> right. too. That wasn't IMAX. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and, they're ta- and they talk a little bit about Joker, and oh, he's a nobody, is what But we say. get Michael Jai White, who we- Spawn himself. Spawn yeah. himself, right? <laughs> Mike Tyson. Uh, we see him there. We, we see uh, the Russian guy the Russian we saw guy. in the first- Eric Roberts is there. Interaction. Yeah. yeah, and Eric Roberts is there, yeah. And I like the Russian guy. I, I want to hear him puzzle. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and while we're doing this, intercutting, we have SWAT going into the other locations yes. that have been set up uh, where they're going to look after this dirty mob money. Mm-hmm. And um, and then who should mosey in <laughs> but our good friend the Joker? And I'm telling you, it's like the volume on this movie turns up every time he walks mm-hmm. on screen. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, my God, what is he going to do? And uh, the first thing he does is a magic trick. Oh, man. Is it? A, it's a pencil, right? Yes. Pencil sticking up on the table. I'm gonna make this pencil disappear. Guy comes to attack him, slams his head into the pencil, and kills him. Ta-da! It's it's gone. It's John Wick before John Wick doing mm-hmm. something yeah. with a pencil. Mm-hmm. That is a. It's like such an amazing, shocking, mm-hmm. terrifying, disturbing, and super cool moment. Yep. Yeah, and nobody like gets up to shoot him, or nobody like does anything to stop him after he's done this, and he's killed one of the henchmen yeah. right in front of everybody. Yeah. He killed one of their own. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah, well, and and part of it is so it's it's so unexpected, yeah. you know, and so bizarre. Like you yeah. you got to be you need some time to catch up to what the hell just happened. Um, and he lays into them. Let's wind the clocks back a year. These cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you i mean what happened did your, did your balls drop off hmm you see a guy like me freak <laughs> a guy like me look listen i know why you choose to have your little <clears throat> group therapy sessions in broad daylight i know why you're afraid to go out at night the Batman. 
It's also the first time in this movie that we get an idea of the time frame yes. from Batman Begins because he says a year ago uh, they would have never you know touched you, and then Batman showed up. Yeah. So it's yeah. like so roughly a year right. is yeah. how long the Batman's been around. And he immediately undercuts Lau, who is in a position mm-hmm. of power at that yep. time because he's taken the mob money without telling them mm-hmm. and not told them where it is to kind of keep it for them in a power move, and which is why Jim Gordon and all those guys don't find anything but some stacks and. Joker immediately undercuts him and goes, I know the ones who squeal. And yeah. that's like the guy on the TV, which freaks Lau out because he knows it's true and right. turns off the screen. That's an interesting idea because um, there's a certain writing term for it. And you might be able to help me with this. Edgar Wright does this in all of his movies where he has the character tell you the entire plot of the movie <laughs> and then you see the movie happen. The Joker does this several yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. Like Joker's like, that guy's going to squeal. Batman's going to get him. You guys are all going to regret it. <laughs> I don't know what the term would be. But I, 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 yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember. There's this, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's funny. Let's call the, Edgar Wright and see sure. if he can tell us what the <laughs> term is. But uh, yeah, Edgar Wright is guilty of that in every one of his movies. Oh, yeah. Oh. But, but Joker does that at several points in the yeah. movie where he tells people exactly what's going to happen. And it's not till the very end that his predictions are wrong. Yeah. And, and the other thing, and you did the voice too. The voice that Heath Ledger has picked for this guy it's this weird Midwestern, somewhat nasal. Isn't it an impression of a rocker? Like a lot of people have made that oh, really? claim now. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of that guy? It's, it's not. Uh, it obviously, it's not Keith Richards. That's what Johnny Depp did for Pirates. But I don't know who. I'm going to look it up on our smartphone. The voice he's doing, right. but it's like very. Yeah, low. So a lot of people have like put his performance against the in interview with this oh, one rocker from wow. the 70s and it's literally like again it's one of those <coughs> moments where you're like this can't be a coincidence mm, i wonder if it's alice cooper tom 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 watts oh wait tom waits tom he's waits doing tom waits impression. he's doing tom waits oh, yeah, 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 yeah that makes yeah. sense well, tom waits is way more well i haven't seen he's more gravelly 70s. he's super gravelly yeah, yeah, yeah. but tom maybe waits. in the 70s he maybe wasn't as gravelly yeah yeah there's an older. interview that i've seen people lay the video oh, interesting over. Yeah. all right we're yeah. gonna have to try to find that too i'm a multimedia guy and i'm gonna just introduce this to your audio podcast. <laughs> it's his performances again. You know, we can't say enough about how ridiculous what what Heath Ledger is doing is. It's simple. We uh, kill the Batman. <laughs> if it's so simple, why haven't you done it already? If you're good at something, never do it for free. How much you will? Uh, half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i don't think they're buying it i don't think they they, they really wanted to do it um and, and in fact he keeps insulting this one guy and i forget the name of the actor um who finally um does he pull a gun on him no oh, the black guy michael j michael white, j. white. That's michael j. oh that's michael mm-hmm. j. yeah, yeah. so yeah. michael j white pulls the gun and he opens up his jacket where yeah. they're all the that metal detector did not do a good job <laughs> no not at all yeah i wonder not why we all. had it because he's got all these hand grenades and i it love does. that the strings are all going to his finger that is a very very uh joker and all the moment. same color as his suit purple yep. the string yeah ah, ah, ah. i love that uh and he leaves yes um but he leaves his card let me know when you're ready. And it's the Joker card, which, of course, we saw at the end of Batman Begins when Gordon hands That's that right. to Batman. Yep, yep. yep. It's a great point. Um, and Batman's going to meet with Gordon and Dent, and we're talking about this ch- the, This Chinese guy has left the country, and we he's got all the money, and we really need to have to go after him. This is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Oh, wow. Because, the bat signal? Yes, because the, the, the camera circles them the entire time around, mm-hmm. And it doesn't really slow down until all three of them are together. Also, Nolan has said several times that the biggest inspiration for The Dark Knight was Batman The Long Halloween. Mm. And in Batman The Long Halloween, there is a scene that is 
very close to this, exactly in the framing where it's these three men standing mm. around the bat signal. And so every time, every time I see this shot, I'm like, this is as close as we're getting to Batman Long Halloween in our, in, in our oh, entire right. lives, probably. That's a deep reference. So, yep, deep cut. Uh, um, definitely. Um, and Batman says, I'm, I can go get him. Because mm-hmm. we don't have extradition with Hong Kong, I can go get him and bring him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's really funny about this movie is like, I don't think anyone really pays attention to the fact that this is the most of the plot is about money laundering and mm-hmm. where the mob's money is, and we don't really care about and, any and, of this. And a good chunk of it's like, where is Lao? And where is yeah. this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we don't really care. Yeah. I mean, we're completely taken. You're going along with it, and it's great, but you're really not paying yeah. attention to why. Like, oh, it's about extradition and bringing him back. Rico I, cases. Rico. And... It's like you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, uh, but uh, now uh, Bruce goes back to visit Lucius Fox, and now he's got a tougher demand, which is doing this high-altitude jump. Now, for high-altitude jumps, you're going to need oxygen and stabilizers. Well, I must say, compared to your usual requests, jumping out of an airplane is pretty straightforward. And what about getting back into the plane? I'd recommend a good travel agent. Without it landing. Now, that's more like it, Mr. Wayne. And apparently Lucius is, knows all military history of every weapon that's ever been made yeah, and, then, and then experimented the, with yeah. or programmed. And then I, but I love the next <laughs> the next little scene where Alfred and, and Bruce are doing a little bit of a, the planning, like how they're going to pull oh, it yeah. off. Yeah. And this goes back to your note where you talk about how realistic it is. And I like that they find this like just washed up pilot guy yep. in Arizona that has the plane. <laughs> right. And, then, and I'm like, yeah, that's how Batman would do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is weird. That's what their levels. I mean, the, the real fr- thing we want to say is suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. And they are convincing us that this is more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Lucius Fox can build all these things apparently by himself, <laughs> you know, isn't realistic. But yeah. you don't really think about it. It seems more realistic. Uh, and and where where does Bruce end up go off? Well, Rachel and Harvey see a newspaper that says he's absconded with the entire Bolshoi ballet right. or whatever <laughs> it, it is. Because it was the night that they were going to the ballet, which he had yep. remembered. Yep. So it was like, boom, I'm going to yep. take him. And so you can't go to the ballet with Cut her. Cut to some <laughs> tropical paradise, beautiful sailing ship. Yeah, uh, Bruce is on the deck of this ship mm-hmm. with all these ballerinas. Um, and a plane is landing, and he jumps in the water and leaves Alfred on the boat. And this is old school Michael Caine. This is uh, yeah. uh, this is Italian job Michael Caine. This is like uh, Alfie Michael Caine. Yeah. When he reverts it's to not that dirty rotten scoundrels. No, yeah. okay, no. This is like this is like old school Michael Caine. Back when you could believe he would get all these beautiful women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when he has that interaction with Bruce. That's him. Uh, to my in my mind, that's their little a uh, shout out to him as an actor. Nice, <laughs> I love it. So, guess what, fellas? Movie's over. Someone killed the Joker. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, Joker's dead. Oh man, we're bringing him into Michael Jai White. He's uh, he's Is he a, the new Joker. I I I, I mean, I don't know. He's <laughs> in a body Joker. bag. So, um, and uh, it seems like you're not being very smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like, don't don't look at him in the body bag and turn your back on him because, of course, he's not dead. Dead? That's 500. How about a lie? And um, we get to hear the Joker's origin and how he got that smile, where those scars came from. You want to know how I got these scars? My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night, he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So, me watching, he 
takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it. He turns to me and he says, Why so serious? He comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And... Why so serious? And it is a disturbing story. And what's funny is, so when you first saw this movie, and maybe it's 10 years ago, we can't remember, did you believe that this was the truth? No. Did you believe it was the truth? I didn't believe it was the truth until he says it again to the old guy in the party later on. And then I go, oh, he he's just making up this shit as he goes along for whatever works. And he probably believes it when he's telling it to the person he's telling it to because he is psychotic. He is unhinged. Therefore, for him, this idea might be the truth or might not be the truth, but he believes it in the moment when he's saying it. And so to me, I, be- I believe that he believes it in the moment when he's saying it to Michael Jai White. I, I never believed it because in the comics, the Joker's origin is unknown. And right. the Joker has been told time and time again, proven to lie about his origin. Mm-hmm. Right. I was I didn't believe it because I was hoping that Nolan was going to do that finally because we didn't see it on screen. Because I was worried mm-hmm. that a movie was going to be like, we have to tell the origin, right. you know, because we right. invented Jack Napier out of nothing. Yeah, you know, yeah. to to do that origin. So I, I I was glad when this happened actually because I was like, oh, here we go. I hope this is what but I they're think doing it he's the right doing. way. Yeah, yeah. Which is a shout out to Killing Joke too because it's talking yeah. about the wife and his like right. she came home and she had these scars and blah, blah, which doesn't happen in Killing Joke, but mm-hmm. the idea of having to provide for the wife, wife the yeah. relationship mm-hmm. affecting. So he tried to yep. connect with her, and even though that story is billed as the origin of the Joker, yeah, there's still a lot of things in it that like make it seem like it's a lie. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love Killing Joke at yeah. the time. It's a little problematic. Well, sure. sure. Today. sure. Um, but anyway. Uh, but they didn't fix it in the animated film, I'll tell you that right I didn't, now. No, I, they I didn't. didn't. I did they not made watch it. worse. It. Idiots. Yeah, anyway. I did not watch it. Sorry. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then we get this moment of, why so serious? Yeah. Which, man, it is just disturbing. Yeah. And then has the other two, hey, hey other two henchmen, I got an opening in my operation, but only one. Yeah. (laughs) Which is perfect Joker. This is perfect Joker. Mm -hmm. He breaks the pool cue in two and says, uh, we can only take one of you. And there's there's four guys. No, there's three. Oh, there's three. three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so they fight. They're going to fight. And what's great is what Nolan does great, too, to keep it at the PG-13. He does not show him slicing, Mm -hmm. uh, even though he slowed the pencil thing, he does not show him slicing Michael Jai White and killing him. Yeah, it's so funny. This is why those ratings rules are so silly because this is a. I think this movie is, in terms of emotionally and psychologically, oh, yeah. is an R-rated movie. Yes. Oh, interesting. I mean, it is heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into some heavy, scary stuff, oh, in my opinion. Uh, but right now, we're going off to Hong Kong, where Lucius Fox is going to some building. He's checking <laughs> his cell phone in at security. Mm-hmm. He's heading up to have uh, a nice little lunch meeting with Lau, where he basically says, because they've already decided they're not making this deal. Right. In fact, we get the sense that the whole reason that Bruce even started to make this deal was he wanted to check out his finances, mm-hmm. because to find out about the money laundering. And there's this great moment where he says, I think, Mr. Fox... A simple phone call might have sufficed. Mr. Wayne didn't want you to think that he was deliberately wasting your time. Just accidentally wasting it. <laughs> That's very good, Mr. Lau. Accidentally. Very good. 
<laughs> yeah, that whole exchange is so great. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and of course, he pulls out his cell phone. Why do you have a cell phone here? You're supposed to check it at the thing. He's like, oh, I, you know. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot it. Yeah. He leaves, but he doesn't pick up his cell phone from security, and he goes off to meet uh, Bruce, and he says that, oh, yeah, I've mapped the whole building with my little cell phone. That's very handy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And we go to this top of this building, and there is Batman standing there, and that is really Christian Bale standing up on a very, very tall building. It is. He he specifically requested to be in that, to be that on that shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really him. And I I remember watching it last week just to 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 confirm, and it is him. It never there doesn't look like there's any CGI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually him on top of that building, right on the edge of that. The scary shot about is there's that one. They show you the initial shot where it zooms in, and then there's the shot where it's over his shoulder, Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's still him. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, damn, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's right. And they, their intention was to do all these jumping and off the building stunts to do them for real on these tall buildings in Hong Kong. Really? And they were practicing for it. And they actually were there in the daytime with the stuntmen doing these stunts to practice. And uh, But finally, the, the it really ended up being that the, um, the rules for flying helicopters around there at night were just too, it was way too much red tape. Uh, ah. And so they finally just went, and so what they ended up doing was they did it, a mix of, pra- what, what, one of the great things about this movie is that there is CG mm-hmm. effects in the film, mm-hmm. but they're always mixing practical and CG. Yeah. So they actually do have a guy jump off a 150 foot tower that's all green screen. Yeah. And then they're putting in the backgrounds and stuff. But there's a real stunt, real stunts at the basis of it. That's one of the things that I appreciate about Nolan is because Nolan is one of these filmmakers um, and he proves it later in this movie because when the semi-truck Joker thing happens, Absolutely. that's real. He yeah. actually yeah. flipped that semi-truck. He tries to do everything they can in camera yeah. so that the CGI is only like 10% of it. Yep. Yeah. And I think it totally shows because you are right. This movie's 10 years old. I don't think there was one single shot in this movie that I was like where the CGI stood out to me. Yeah. I, 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 well, and we see the same thing, you know, I like practical effects. Yep. I don't mind. CG has gotten really, really good in the last, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years. Yeah. But I like practical stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did JJ. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> um, so he goes, shoots this across, uh, the glass building with this sticky gooey stuff. He's, he heads over there. He's got his cell phone, which is showing the map of everything. Mm-hmm. He crashes through uh, windows under fire by the guy. Lau is running away. The power has gone out. Oh, I should I should say somehow Lucius's phone that had been in the security thing made the power go out, mm-hmm. which of course Batman likes moving around in the dark. Uh, he crashes through, grabs Lau. Goes out the window, hooks on, has some parachute thing that hooks onto a plane and zip goes up into the air. And this is important because the cell phone he's using is this sonar technology that is going to come in handy later on in the film. Oh, that's it right. is their first experiment kind of using this uh, sonar technology and Bale's or Bruce Wayne's experience with it or with it gives him the idea for it later on in the movie when they're doing mm-hmm. what they're doing. And so it's nice to see kind of a dry run of it. Um, how do you guys feel about the Hong Kong sequence? Ooh, I go back and forth on the Hong Kong <laughs> because not all, it, it does have what I think is the most Batman moment in, in this entire movie, and that's the moment where he grabs yes. Lau by the foot and yes. drags him. Yeah. I, to, for me, that's the most Batman-y, yeah. Batman-ish thing in all three of these movies, um, and it's such a simple thing. But at a certain time, I'm like, it really kind of stands out like, did they shoot this just for the Asian market? Oh, certainly possible. Oh, yeah. You know, um, because... I almost feel you could. There is a version of this movie where you cut from the scene um, with the bat signal, yeah, directly to Laos tied up outside, yeah. And would we miss anything? I don't know that we would. Besides the cell phone thing, mm-hmm. 
I think that the whole thing is to set up to sell the cell phone thing. I think the whole sequence is set up the cell okay. phone thing. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think it's a great moment because it's a very Dark Knight Returns moment when he yanks Lau with the string connected to the helicopter. That's what happens to him mm. uh, as well in, in Dark Knight Returns when the helicopter grabs him as he's fighting y- uh, Yindel and all the cops there mm-hmm. when he's bleeding and been shot. It you know, uh, Carrie brings him out of there, and so like, uh, but I also think it's it's it feels Mission Impossibly. It feels yeah. like a Mission Impossible scene, right? Totally. From a movie like the, like Mission Impossible Three, it's very similar to that. But but it's nice to see the Batman out of Gotham doing the things sure. that he does. So it's sure. interesting. I think it's a perfectly good sequence. It's my least favorite in the film, mm-hmm. and I I really think it could have been cut. And mm. and and it's just and I think it's one of those things you know there's this idea of narrative thrust that there's something that's driving you forward mm-hmm. in the story yeah and I think they thought that this money plot was really important and it really isn't not. yeah it's really not and so I don't care about Lao and the money and all mm-hmm. this stuff I care about the Joker that is what's driving this movie forward and you know you spend however many millions of dollars they did doing this really cool action sequence you're gonna put it in the movie yeah. you know but for me it's like you know and a lot of that sequence is IMAX too. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it was it's an impressive sequence, right? But I'm not emotionally involved the way I am for everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do get the Chinese guy back. Rachel's in the interrogating him, and this is to me where you honestly do see the difference between Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Lau, what kind of details do you have about this communal fund? Ledgers, notes, immunity, protection, and a chartered plane back to Hong Kong. After you testify in open court. And I'm just curious, with all your clients locked up, what's going to happen with all that money? And and we get this sense that if we put him in the jail with the common criminals, he's going to be in deep trouble. And he suddenly realizes it. Yeah. And um, he's ready to squeal. <laughs> as the Joker, like Joker predicted. predicted. Yeah. And, and we're going to bring in everybody. Yeah. Um, Gordon comes in and arrests the mobsters. And then we have a trial with... Some, I don't know, 50 mobsters or yeah, something like the that. With, there. <laughs> and the judge is there, and the judge opens up some paperwork, and there's a Joker's card. And, and the mayor is now worried that Harvey Dent is going to be a target. And as he's talking about, you're going to be in danger all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one of the would-be Batman slams up against the glass. It is a good jump scare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It comes just out mm-hmm. of nowhere. Um and while all of this tension is building, we're prepping to go for this benefit that Bruce Wayne is showing for throwing for Harvey Dent, which Alfred thinks that Bruce is doing this all for Rachel. Mm-hmm. He half is. Yeah. I think he yeah. half is. Think it's half Rachel, it's half Harvey, I think. And why do you think I want to hold a party for Harvey Dent? Well, I assume it was your usual reason for socializing beyond myself and the scum of Gotham's underbelly. To try to impress Miss Dawes. Yeah, very droll, but very wrong. Actually, it's... Uh... Uh, and while we're prepping for this benefit, we see this video of the Joker and the other would-be Batman, and it is really scary. So you think Batman's made Gotham a better place? Hmm? Look at me. Look at me! See, this is how crazy Batman's made Gotham. You want order in Gotham. Batman must take off his mask and turn himself in. Oh, and every day he doesn't, people will die. Starting tonight. I'm a man of my word. (laughs) Do you know the production story behind that video? Go ahead. Yeah, Heath Ledger filmed that video. 
Whoa! Every, every videotape that is yeah. done by the Joker, including the later one with the the newscaster, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, um, they're they just gave a mini DV camcorder to Heath Ledger and told him to film it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Nolan wasn't even there. Nolan wasn't there. It was all just the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. The, and, and I remember just watching this a few nights ago. I was like. This is this is how the Joker would feel. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is how a real Joker would feel. Mm-hmm. And it is really 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 scary. It is unsettling. Yes. As hell. The when he especially when he walks up to the fake Batman guy and starts like he starts rubbing his face. The choice yeah. of this performance is interesting. He starts like rubbing his face like a baby yeah. and then he starts slapping him. Yep. And it does especially when the camera like turns around and shakes and he starts cackling you're just like it puts you in one of those situations where you're like I would never want to be that guy. Yep. No. Like, like you know, this guy gets like his throat slashed in just seconds after that video cuts. Well, and this is the thing of like, I, I think you're totally right that the I have no plan is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But we have no way of knowing what that guy's going to sure. do at right. any moment. Sure. We know, it's just complete chaos mm-hmm. uh, from our perspective. Uh, we go to the benefit. Dent is nervous. Alfred brings him a, a drink. I love this line where he says, Alfred, right? That's right, sir. Yeah. Rachel talks about you all the time. You, you've known her her whole life. Oh, not yet, sir. <laughs> I love Alfred, especially Michael Caine's offer. He's great. He's great. Um, and then he has to. Are there any psycho boyfriend, ex boyfriends I should know about? Oh yeah, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> um, and of course, Bruce enters via helicopter. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes to make a speech. This is that. It is a perfect mix of nice speech and total dick move. Yeah. You know, when Rachel first told me that she was dating Harvey Dent, I had one thing to say. The guy from those god-awful campaign commercials. I believe in Harvey Dent. Yeah, nice slogan, Harvey. <laughs> it's right, walks mm-hmm. that, that narrow line, but in the end, he does say... And then I started to pay attention to Harvey. And all that he's been doing is our new DA. And you know what? I believe in Harvey Dent. I believe that on his watch, Gotham can feel a little safer, a little more optimistic. Look at this face. This is the face of Gotham's bright future to Harvey Dent. Let's hear it for him. It's interesting, too, because I think this speech is genuine. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's it's Bruce fighting with how do I keep the playboy alive but yet give my real feelings? Right. And that's why I think the speech comes off as a dick speech. Yeah. But, like, I don't think he intended it as a dick speech, mm. especially, like, when you see how he interacts with Rachel later. Yeah. And speaking of Rachel, mm-hmm. they go out on the balcony together, and um, she kind of gives him a little bit of hard time uh, about um, the, the speech. And then that's when and he says, You know that day that you once told me about when Gotham would no longer need Batman? It's coming. You can't ask me to wait for that. It's happening now. Harvey is that hero. He locked up half of the city's criminals, and he did it without wearing a mask. Gotham needs a hero with a face. Gotham needs a hero with a face. Yeah. She's a really, it's interesting on several levels, that line. That is a really, where, where I've had problems with the other sort of prophetic line, this one I think is a great line. Yeah. Because Batman doesn't have a face, and this guy's about to have two. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really, really cool. Did you notice also as well, Bruce throws his alcohol yes. over yeah. the side, and the Joker does the same, does the same thing, thing yeah. as soon as he walks in the scene. Yeah, That's a great, great point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And Gordon starts to realize that the, the Joker is coming after the commissioner and the judge. Cops grab the judge. They give her an envelope and mm-hmm. tell her to get in this car. He's talking with the police commissioner who um, is, pulls out a bottle to have a drink. And back at the benefit, Harvey is romancing Rachel. This seems pretty close to a proposal. Yeah. Um, it's getting very romantic. Commissioner takes a drink. Envelope. Uh, the judge opens up the envelope. The car blows up. Commissioner starts to choke because the drink, of course, is poisoned. This was this was the part of the movie that I thought were some nice story turns mm-hmm. because this where um, how the Joker takes out the commissioner, the judge, the the weird planning that he that the Joker like puts into this mm-hmm. I think is very is really good. The fact that he knew the commissioner would go for his bottle, um, the fact that the uh, the judge gets taken out by the car, right? I, I, that's where I was like, oh man, this is really this is some smart smart plotting. Absolutely. All this is happening really, really fast. And just at that moment that all of that's happened, the Joker arrives at the benefit. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. I only have one question. Where is Harvey Dent? And again, every moment that Heath Ledger Ledger walks on the screen, it's just great. And it, you got to know it's something great, too, because Michael Caine has said in quotes that this was the scene that scared him. Oh. Wow. He said that Heath Ledger walked into the scene because Alfred's in the scene. Yeah. yeah. He, Heath Ledger walked through the door and he said that Heath Ledger, the first time he saw him do a take, legitimately scared him. <laughs> and so if Michael Caine, one of the greatest actors of yeah. all time, says that. One of the toughest that, guys of all yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> That's something. He Sorry. walks up to the old guy and... Who like, is Senator Patrick Leary, oh, who's in every Batman movie? Oh, Patrick Leahy. Yeah. Leahy, excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, in the meantime, uh, Bruce knows that something's going up. Yeah. He, he guy pulls a gun on Thug pulls a gun on him. <laughs> yes. He calls him Pretty Boy or something. That doesn't last very long. He goes into some secret compartment and disappears. Yeah. I love that panic room, especially yeah. the look at the couple. Where they're yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they're all like having sex. Yep. Like, Wait, where, where'd he go? <laughs> yeah. And who does uh, the Joker end up talking to? But Rachel, because he's looking for Harvey Dent. Right. Um, but first, he has that interaction again with that with the senator, and he's both ways. He remind, you remind me of my father. You remind me of my father. I hate my father. Okay, stop. And there's Rachel. And, yeah. he, sa- and he gives a whole new different reason for how he got the scars. Yeah. You know, so you have this idea that he is going to tell a different story depending mm-hmm. on the situation to whoever he's going to tell it to. But he's so believable when he's telling it. That's why I say I think he believes it every time he's saying it because mm-hmm. he doesn't even remember how he became the Joker. So I had a wife, beautiful, like you, who tells me I worry too much, who tells me I ought to smile more. Who gambles and gets in deep with the sharks? Okay. One day they carve her face. We have no money for surgeries. She can't take it. I just want to see her smile again. Hmm? I just want her to know that I don't care about the scars. So, I stick a razor in my mouth and do this to myself. And you know what? She can't stand the sight of me. She leaves. Now I see the funny side. Now I'm always smiling. <clears throat> Rachel's got some some fight. Yeah. Which he says, you mm-hmm. got a little fight fighting you. I like it. Mm-hmm. And Batman's right there. Then you're gonna, you're gonna love me. me. Yeah. Then you're gonna love me. <laughs>
The sound design is great too because the the it's the punches are so loud. In yes. The, when she hits him, it's a powerful sound. They sound painful. Yes. Yeah. And so that he's willing to take it and in in, in a way almost like kind of crazily mm-hmm. be turned on by it. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating. Well, the, the, there's clear masochism and sadism yes. with Joker. I mean, he he does like. He doesn't have any problem with getting hurt at all. Yeah. And uh, he does also happen to have a knife boot. Yes. As you do. Just like a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then uh, the Joker grabs Rachel, shoots the glass behind him. <laughs> um, Batman says, let her go. Poor choice of words. <laughs> he lets her go. She goes out the window. Batman goes after him. Does the classic, Mm -hmm. I I can catch up to you through gravity and catch you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And somehow they both survive. I don't know how they survive. Yeah, it doesn't. There's also a little bit of a plot thing in this movie. This is, uh, I've heard a a point in the movie where people are like, have problems with the plot. And it's, does the Joker just leave? I don't know. He controls that party. That's true. Harvey's somewhere in that party. That's true, because it cuts. It It cuts, and we just go to the next day. Yeah, we do. You know? (laughs) Well, the Joker has, like, mystical powers to appear and disappear. Yeah, he does. He doesn't seem Yeah, Batman's down on that street, probably has a broken back. Why wouldn't Joker spend the time looking for Harvey? (laughs) Yeah. Or finishing off Batman. Exactly. (laughs) And speaking of Harvey, Gordon is worried about what happened to Harvey and basically thinks with the commissioner dead and the judge dead, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to testify. And really, Harvey would be smart to just go to Mexico. And in walks Harvey Dent. Hmm. So where do you keep your trash? And that's it for part one of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. If you want to join the conversation on this great film, you can do so on our Facebook page at The Cinephiles, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us at all the usual places. And if you subscribe on iTunes, please leave us a review. If you subscribe on YouTube, leave us a comment. We love reading those. If you want to buy The Dark Knight or any other movie we've ever reviewed, you can do so on our website at cinephiles.net. Please support the show on Patreon. If you want to reach me, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. If you want to reach John, you can reach him at, at the Roca Says on Twitter or on Instagram. And if you want to reach our incredible special guest, Jason Inman, you can reach him on Twitter at J-A-W-I-I-N. So that's it for this week. But we're going to see you next time for part two of The Dark Knight, only on The Cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs>